Hey friends, welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. My name is Gwen DeSelm, and it is my pleasure to be your host for these moments together. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Have you ever wished you could get a do-over? You did something or said something, and you'd really like to take it back, but you can't. Maybe you have a lifetime of those moments. Is it too late for you? Can God still love you? Still use you? Well, as we pick up the story of Jonah, I have a feeling that's exactly what the prophet was wondering. But as we'll see, God specializes in second chances. Here's Dave. Jonah chapter 3, I'm going to read to you what I think is the most significant verse in the whole book. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Follow along, would you please? Jonah 3, 1. Get ready to underline something or make note of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What's the next three words? A second time. That's what I want you to underline. A second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now in reading that phrase, it alludes, of course, to the fact that there was a first time. There was a first time that God had come to Jonah and called him to obedience. Jonah had refused. He'd run from God, run from the assignment. In fact, he literally went in the opposite direction of God's call. Consciously, stubbornly, he disobeyed. And yet God, by his amazing grace, chased him down. He chased him down and brought him to the end of himself in a remarkable series of events, including the belly of a fish. And there, Jonah recognized the foolishness of trying to run from God's call. He asked forgiveness. He committed to obey. And the fish, it says at the end of chapter 2, vomited him out on the beach. The God of the second chance gave one to Jonah. And this idea of the second chance prompted me to think about one of my favorite stories. It's a true story, and it's a story of a man who got a second chance in a unique way. The year was 1929. The event was the Rose Bowl. The teams were the University of California and Georgia Tech. It was a defensive struggle from the opening kickoff. Everyone knew not many points would be scored in this Rose Bowl. The star center for Cal was a guy named Roy Regals. He was a tremendous player. And as the game unfolded, it was a scoreless tie until late in the second quarter, Tech fumbled. To Roy's joy, the fumble fell right into his hands. He played both ways back then. He grabbed the ball and headed for the goal line. There was only one small problem. Anybody want to guess what it was? He was going the wrong way. His best friend, a running back named Benny Lam, ultimately chased him down. You see the guys chasing him? That's not the tech players. That's the Cal players. Benny Lam eventually caught him at the three. 
turned him around. By that time, the tech players did get there. They swarmed him under. He was tackled on the two. Cal had to punt. Wouldn't you know it? The punt was blocked. Tech got a safety. The half ended. To the hoots and hollers of the Georgia Tech fans, the Cal guys, heads low, went to the locker room. As they went in there, by the way, there's the picture. That's, that's a picture of Roy Regals after his own guys had tackled him. Inconsolable. What have I done? They went into halftime. The players all gathered in the benches in front of their lockers, as was normal, all except for Roy Regals. He went to the corner, his head in his hands, his shoulders shaking with a strong man's tears. Everyone wondered what the head coach of Cal Nibs Price was going to do. If you played football, you know typically the coach says much during halftime. This time he said nothing. He was trying to figure out what to do with Roy. Finally, when the timekeeper came in and said three minutes to the second half, Nibs Price made a singular announcement. Gentlemen, those who started the first half will start the second half. Outfiled the team, all except for Roy. The coach called over Roy, let's go. He didn't move. The coach walked over there again, said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that started the first half will start the second half. Regals finally looked up with tear-stained cheeks and said, Coach, I can't go out there. I've let you down. I've let Cal down. I've let myself down. How do I ever face those fans again? How could I ever face myself again? And then... Coach Nibs Price made this incredible statement. Roy, get up and go out there. The game's only half over. And he got up and he went out there. And both the Cal and Tech players said they've never seen a guy play the second half, second half football like Roy Regals did. He recognized that you may blow it in the first half but the game's only half over. The coach of the second chance, the God of the second chance. When I read that story, I think we all know what that feels like. We all know what it feels like to have started the right way and gone the wrong way. Some of us foolishly, like the football player, some of us stubbornly and consciously like the prophet. But as I thought about that, let me just say something in a crowd this size, and we're wall to wall this morning. For someone in this room, I believe this is a word for God for you. You think it's all over for you. You've ruined your marriage. You've ruined your family. You've ruined your testimony. You've ruined everything. You don't think there's any more time. Let me give you a word from God. Get up. The game's only half over. It's only half over. There's never too late a time to begin the second half. And if you hear nothing else that I say today, you hear that. You hear that. The God of the second chance came to Jonah as well. In an amazing way, he gave him a second chance. What's remarkable to me is how chapter 1 parallels chapter 3. Get ready to flip back and forth, okay? Look at chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord, Jonah 1.1, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Flip over to 3.1. All right? Notice what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go back to chapter 1, verse 2. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Go to chapter 3, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the the message I give you. Are you seeing the parallelism? Go back to chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed off to Tarshish. Go to chapter 3, verse 3. Jonah, what? Obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. This time Jonah got got it right. But mark it well. Notice the assignment hadn't changed. Listen, if God has asked you to do something and you failed, if God has called you to do something and you refused, chances are he's going to send you right back there again to see if you do it right this time. You wrecked your family, he's going to send you right back to that family. Now live it right in front of your kids. You blew your testimony on the job, he's going to send you right back to that job. Now stand tall for God on the job. You mess things up in your school, he's going to send you right back to that school. Now live for Christ in that school. The assignment hadn't changed. It also had not get any easier. I talked with you in some detail early on in this teaching series about Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, arguably the cruelest of all the conquerors of antiquity. Nineveh was not only the capital of Israel's sworn enemies, it was a synonym for everything that is evil and messed up in this world. This was Nineveh. For Jonah to be asked to go there was not only a hard thing, and we've said early on, many times God is going to call you as a disciple to go to a hard place and do something you don't want to do, but he's going to call you there anyway. This is what it means to serve him. You go where he asks you to go, even if it's hard even if it's difficult. But more than that, Nineveh also was just a lost cause. To Jonah's way of thinking, it wasn't simply a matter of not wanting to go to Nineveh. It wasn't worth it to go to Nineveh. They were a bunch of losers who never would change. They were a bunch of people who were too messed up, too screwed up, too washed up. Nineveh, listen, is not merely the place you don't want to go to. Nineveh is all that recognize, all that represents the lost causes in your life. Nineveh are those family members that you've tried to influence who keep turning down your faith. Nineveh is that place where you try to stand tall for Christ and they mock you for being a Christian. Nineveh are those places, those places where you want to improve it, but it gets no better. You're ha- trying to have an influence, but it doesn't happen. It's the community that you're trying to impact. It's the school you're trying to change. It's the shop you're trying to alter. It's the places that you want so much to make a difference, but no difference is made. And now you're thinking to yourself, is that is not worth it? There's no sense in even trying. Those people will never change. That situation will never change. And the God of the second chance says this, friends, I want you to go back there anyway. Why? Because the God that gave you a second chance wants to give them a second chance. This is not a book about a fish. This is a book about outrageous, amazing grace. The grace that was given to a loser named Jonah and the grace that was given to a bunch of losers who lived in Nineveh. It's about a God who says, I'll let you know when to give up. I'll let you know when you should stop going there. I'll let you know. The God of the second chance. You want to see how he felt about Nineveh? Remember how evil these people were. Look at the last verse of the book. 
chapter four, verse 11. This is what God felt about these evil people. Chapter four, verse 11. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right. They're messed up, totally messed up. Many cattle as well. Then look at the last line of the book. Should I not be concerned? And if we're supposed to be like God, what's the natural parallel? Should what? Should I not be concerned? People who are messed up, situations that are fouled up. It's a losing proposition to even think you can make a difference. And God says, that's not your business. I want you to go there for me. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. Did you enjoy the story of Roy Regals and his Rose Bowl second chance? If you want to see the pictures of Roy's wrong way run, we've put them in this episode's show notes. You can find them at davedeselmministries.org slash podcast slash 117. Well, we are so grateful to have you joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples. If you're enjoying this podcast and you haven't done so yet, then please take just a moment to rate, review, and subscribe, and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Well, as you know, in addition to this podcast, Dave Sell Ministries offers other resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as devotionals for everyday disciples. These devotionals are filled with inspiration from God's Word that will encourage you as you follow Jesus every day. We have an archive of over 150 devotionals that you can browse through on our website, davedesoundministries.org. Now, let's get back to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. Now, chapter 3, Jonah obeyed, verse 3. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He only travels one-third of the way through the town and probably saw more evil per square inch than he'd ever seen in his life. And he thought, okay, this is as good a place as any. You're doomed. The sermon was all of eight words. In the Hebrew, it's only six words. Think of it, a six-word sermon. Many of you are thinking right now, if only we could be so lucky. No chance. (laughs) It's incredibly blunt. It's remarkably unvarnished. There's nothing like a typical Old Testament prophecy here. There's no detailed word from the Lord. There's no specific naming of sins. There's no dramatic appeal for the victims. Basically, you're dead. Why? Because many scholars think Jonah, though he obeyed, thought it's not going to make any difference anyway. It's not going to make any difference anyway. For Jonah, Nineveh was on his no-way list. You see, when God asks us to do something, we all have no-way lists. Jonah's thinking was like this. No way that's going to make a difference. No way. The city's too large, the culture's too foreign, the audience is too wicked, the time frame is too limited. There's no way that those people will ever change. And our no-way lists parallel that. No way that school's ever going to be different. No way 
that neighborhood's ever going to be different. No way Southeast Fort Wayne's ever going to be different. No way my family member's ever going to be different. No way that friend's ever going to be different. No way. Lost cause. No way. We all have our no way list. My words won't matter. My presence won't have an impact. No way. Until you get to verse 5. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. Whoa. We say no way, and God says way. The Ninevites believed God against all odds. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. What's sackcloth? It's goat hair, but it's like modern day burlap. Very uncomfortable, but it's a sign of repentance. Intentional discomfort is a sign of repentance. But it wasn't just some people. When the news reached the king, verse 6 He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. This is a total fast. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Do you get that? Even the cattle and the horses have to be putting on sackcloth. It's an amazing picture of total repentance here. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And then comes the ultimate surprise in the book. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Against all odds, the destruction was turned away. Why? Because one person chose to obey. One person chose to stand in a place that everybody else had given up on. One person And God said, in effect, that's all I need. That is all I need. It wasn't even an encouraging person. It wasn't even a faith-filled person. It was an obedient person. All right, I'll pray. Not going to make any difference. All right, I'll go there. Won't make a lick of difference. All right, I'll try to mark my neighbor. Ain't going to make a bit of difference. And then God would say, way way? I think so. I think so. The book of Jonah, friends, is not a tragedy that ends with an ain't gonna happen defeat. The book of Jonah is a divine comedy, and it ends with an against all odds victory. It's a joke on any person who would say, God can't do it. Jonah thinks he can run away from God. The joke's on Jonah. Jonah thinks that when he goes in the water, he's going to drown. The joke's on Jonah. Jonah thinks that it won't do any good to walk through Nineveh. Joke's on Jonah. And the joke is on every person in this room who believes that we serve a logical, expected, sensible God rather than a God of immeasurable grace, unexpected mercy, and outrageous, miraculous transformation. Our God can do it. All he's looking for is someone who will go to Nineveh. Somebody who'll pray. 
Somebody who will move in. Someone who will take the job. Someone who will invest in those kids. Someone who will try to make a difference with single moms. Somebody. And God says, in effect, now you watch what I can do. You don't think there's any way. They made your no way list. You watch what I can do. And even if it doesn't happen, it was still right to try. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. The issue isn't what will happen. The issue is, will you go? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. This God of the second chance, what's your lost cause? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're Roy Regals. You've messed up your life. You've messed up your family. You've messed up your career. You've messed up your testimony. You've messed up everything. Hear God's word to you. Get up. The game's only half over. Come to Christ. Seek forgiveness. Discover amazing grace. Don't sit in the corner and say, it's over. But you have to get up. Only you can re-engage. Or maybe your lost cause is somebody else. It's that family member. It's that friend. They'll never change. No way. That may well be true, but that doesn't mean that you still aren't called to pray for them and seek to influence them and go to them. I'm not saying that you should necessarily trust them. Trust is that which is earned. And I'm certainly not saying that you give them everything they ask for to influence them. That would not be loving them well. I am saying... Will you stop writing them off as no way? You pray. You love. You reach. And maybe, just maybe, God will break through. Maybe your Nineveh is a place, your school, your office, your shop your neighborhood, this portion of the city. No way that it can ever be different. The God of the second chance says, in effect, that's up to me. You just go there. You live there. You serve there. You work there. You teach there and watch what I can do in impossible situations. I don't know what God is asking you to do. I don't know where God is asking you to go. But I'll tell you this. The God of second chances not only wants to offer one to you, but he wants to offer one to them. 
Will you go for it? Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing picture of your grace, your mercy, your love. That which you gave to Jonah, we we sure need. We've run the wrong way with the ball. And I pray for some in this room who think it's all over, that they would hear those words ringing in their mind even now. Get up. There's still a second half to play. And for those of us who've identified the no-way situations, those people in our life, those friends, those places we work, where we go to school, where we live, help us recognize that if you can turn the hearts of the Assyrians, you can turn anybody's heart. All you're asking us is to go there. You'll give us the words. You'll give us the words. Just go. Be there. Have a presence. And listen to my voice. Help us, Lord, to recognize that if we want to be like you, then we have to be people who extend second chances too. And then trust to watch what you can do in that. Please help us to act accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.